Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. This is the 19th program in this series where I'm in John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, we have the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda. And in the previous program, I talked about some of the preliminary issues with regards to what was going on in Jerusalem at that time. I talked a little bit about the consequences that the man would experience if he was healed. In John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, it says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years, and this is where I was at the end of the previous program, that this man had been sick or he had an injury or he was paralyzed. He had an infirmity for 38 years. This was a long time. This man had clearly established a lifestyle for himself. He made it 38 years with this infirmity. Clearly, he was able to find enough food, shelter, clothing, energy, He was able to find the things that he needed in order to survive, and chances are he was able to obtain these things from people's generosity. It is not likely that he was contributing that much to other people's lives in the sense that he wasn't producing things. He was not involved in labor in order to exchange his labor for the goods and services and the things that he would have a need for in order to sustain his life. So he has made it. 38 years from the generosity of other people and their labor. This is a long time. He has found a way to establish himself. He has found a way to obtain a way of life. And he is in a community of people who have similar issues. So he is a member of a community of people. He has friends. He has people who he associates with. He has an entire lifestyle that he has been able to sustain for 38 years. Then Jesus comes along. In John chapter 5, verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? Now, that's a very interesting question for Jesus to ask. Do you want to be made well? After all, the man has found a way to make it this far with the condition that he has. Maybe he would not want to experience change. Now, in the previous program, I explained that 
Jesus walked in to this multitude of people who had infirmities. A multitude of people. It's like walking into a major hospital. And instead of just healing everybody, Jesus goes to this one specific person. And when he goes to this person, he doesn't even tell this person who he is or what he's capable of doing. Jesus just simply asks him, do you want to be made well? In verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Did this man really answer Jesus' question? No, he did not. The man gave an excuse. Jesus asked him, Do you want to be made well? And he did not answer that question. He didn't say, yes, I would like to be made well. He didn't say no. He just simply gave an excuse as to why he was not made well. And his excuse had to do with the fact that no one would help him. Now, this sounds to me more like blame, that it could probably be recognized as blaming someone else for his condition instead of just simply coming up with an excuse as to why he was still in this condition. What he says is, is that other people are responsible for getting him into the water. That's what he says. The reason why he is not healed is because no one will help him get in the water in time. Somebody else gets in the water faster than he can get in the water. And so it really isn't his fault. It's not really his problem. It's not really his issue. It's not about whether or not he wants to be made well. This is really the decision of other people. It's not really his life. It's not really his responsibility. It's not really about that. It's about the fact that there are no other people who will make it possible for him to be made well. That's the kind of attitude that this man has. This man is alive. And being alive means that you are a participant in this world that you are a part of. And being in this world means that there are certain problems that you have to solve. Everybody has to solve these problems. There are basic fundamental problems of life. He needs to eat. He needs to be able to have clothing. He needs shelter. He's going to need energy for one reason or another. These are basic fundamental problems, problems in life. And he is in a situation where apparently the way that he solves these problems is by expecting someone else to solve these problems for him. When you're faced with a problem, you can either engage the problem with a solution or you can engage the problem with an excuse. And for many people, an excuse is a solution. If you're faced with a problem, look for a way to come up with an excuse first. Any kind of excuse. Any excuse that will say that you don't have to find a way to solve this problem. And many people really do prefer to come up with an excuse than to 
solve the problems of life because it is an easier solution. But when you solve your problems in this way, by coming up with an excuse or by expecting someone else to solve these problems for you, then in general, in the future, your life will be much more difficult than it would have been if you would have taken personal responsibility for your own life. There's a simple phrase that represents this, and that is that when a person does that which is easy, their life can become hard. On the other hand, if a person will face the problems of life and engage healthy, sound, constructive solutions, if they will actively solve these problems, then it will be difficult at first. It would be easier to just come up with an excuse or find somebody to blame. But if you will go through the effort, go through the difficulties, go through the struggles, go through the discomfort that you are going to experience through solving the problems of life, then later on you will discover that your life becomes easier. So a person can either do that which is easy and their life will most likely become hard, or they can do that which is hard, and their life will most likely become easy. But in this case, this man decides to tell Jesus that it's someone else's fault that he is not well. Jesus asked him if he wanted to be made well, and he gave no indication that he really wanted to be made well. He gave no indication with regards to that at all. He just simply found an excuse. He found a way to express blame. So Jesus responds to him in verse 8. This is John chapter 5, verse 8. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Now again, Jesus did not get the man's confirmation that he really wanted to be made well. Jesus did not use any criteria, as far as I can tell, he did not use any criteria to determine if this man had enough faith. We don't know if this man believed in God at all. Clearly, this man does not even know who Jesus is. He doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't know who he is, what he's about. He knows nothing about him whatsoever. So he's not going to believe in Jesus. And he is made well. Jesus just simply decided, you are going to be healed. And he healed the man. He told the man to take up his bed and walk. The bed was most likely a mat made of straw that he would just simply roll up and carry around with him. It would not require a whole lot of effort. It wouldn't be like trying to walk around with a king-size mattress, for example. And when he got up to walk, there is no indication here that the man was really excited about the fact that he could get up and walk. There's no indication that we have here that he was excited, that he was thankful. As I mentioned in the previous program, there would be some consequences to him being made well. The people who were there, who were not well, would want him to leave. He would no longer be one of them. And so this could be a reason as to why he wasn't all excited about the healing. If he was excited, if he was thankful, if he really wanted to be able to get up and walk, 
He would have said something. He would have done something. He would have expressed to everyone around him, look at me. I can get up, I can walk, and I can carry my mat or my bed. He would have said something. He would have done something. And it should not have taken too long for him to do that. Jesus should not have been able to just slip away and make his way out of the multitude. Jesus would not have been able to escape without the man pointing Jesus out and saying, look at that man. See that man, everyone? That man just healed me. I believe that he can heal you too. And everyone there, everyone who had issues, who were at the pool of Bethesda, they could have all been healed. Just imagine what it would be like if Jesus walked in there, healed all those people, and then they all walked out at the same time and went into Jerusalem with the entire nation of Israel present at this time for the festival. And the five porches of the pool of Bethesda were empty. That would be a profound testimony for Jesus. But he leaves. He slips away. Nobody knows who he is. Nobody knows where he goes. And clearly, nobody goes running after him to try to track him down so that they might be healed also. We don't see any of that going on. So again, in John chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews, therefore, said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. The Jews confronted him. They confronted him over the fact that he was carrying his bed or his mat and that from their perspective, from their perception, he was violating the Sabbath law. So what does he do? He says, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. I am not to blame. I am not the one responsible for this violation of the Sabbath law. No, I am not. There's another man. This other man, I don't know who he is, but there's this other man who told me to get up and carry it. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm following his instructions. I am not responsible. I am not to blame. If you have any concerns whatsoever, you have to take it up with him. It's not my fault. He healed me. I didn't even want him to heal me. It doesn't say that, but you can imply that. He healed me. He asked me if I wanted to be made well. He didn't give me a chance to really even answer his question. He just told me to get up and walk. And so I did. I, I did. I, I wasn't thinking. And now I'm walking around with my mat. You guys have spotted me. And sure enough, yeah, you could consider that maybe I'm violating the Sabbath law. But then in verse 12, then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Now, again, even though there was a multitude, the man could have yelled and screamed with excitement. He could have announced the fact that he was healed. He could say, there is a man here. Don't let him out of the room. Don't let him out of this place. 
Don't let him leave because he can heal us all. Look what he did for me. That's not what happened. But he does answer the question that the Jews asked him. Now, this man is apparently violating the Sabbath law. This is a serious crime. According to the law of Moses, you are to be executed. He should have been put on trial, and the people, according to the law, should throw rocks at him until he is dead. But that's not what happens. The man gives an explanation, and then nothing happens. The reason why is because his explanation is adequate. It is a good explanation. It would satisfy the concerns that the Jews had. So the man does express blame. He does say that someone else is responsible for this violation of the Sabbath law. But when the Jews questioned him about this other man who is responsible, according to him, he said, I don't know who he is. And this, by default, answered their question. And the reason why was because, according to the Pharisees, it was acceptable for a person to carry things but only if they picked something up in a public place and they put it back down in a public place, or they picked something up in a private place and they put it down in a private place. And some of the rabbis would say that you cannot move the item into a public place if you picked it up in a private place, and you could not move an item into a private place if you picked it up in a public place. And so when this man answers the question, he does provide the additional information to the people who are questioning him that would satisfy their concerns. Now, what he was carrying was his bed, a mat. And this is something that you would have expected him to have in a private place. And so when he was carrying it in a public place, then, according to many of the Pharisees, they would say that that was a violation of the Sabbath law because he moved the mat, he moved his bed from a private place to a public place. But when he told them that he did not know who this man was who made him well, then that was considered to be information to show them, to show the people who were accusing him, that this man who healed him was a man he did not know and therefore was not with him in a private place. So because he did not know the man who had healed him, clearly he was in a public place. So he picked up his bed in a public place and he was continuing to carry it in a public place. Therefore, he was not violating the Sabbath law according to the Pharisees at that time. They would have considered that to be acceptable. So again, in verse 13, it says, But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. And I was explaining this in the previous program where I explained that his infirmity could be the result of the natural consequences of his sin, or it could have been a divine judgment against his sin. 
So it could have been a sin that he committed that resulted in a series of events that eventually he found himself in the condition that he was in. Maybe he broke his leg or his back or something like that, or somebody else broke his leg or broke his back because of the sin that he committed. Or it was a divine judgment in the sense that he committed a sin and God decided to intervene in his life and cause this infirmity for him. Either way, Jesus does tell the man that this is most likely related to his sin. Therefore, he shouldn't sin anymore. It's not a good idea. So Jesus reveals himself to this man at the temple And then in verse 15, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Now, why would he do this? The Jews had already confronted him about the issue of him carrying his bed, and he gave them an explanation that was accepted. The conflict was over. There's nothing left to resolve. The issue has been addressed. Why would he go to the Jews And tell them that it was Jesus. Jesus is the man. It's Jesus' fault. He's the problem. He's the one who did this to me. He's the one who healed me. How dare he? That he changed my life in this way. I've already had 38 years of life and I made it this far. Maybe I could make it another 10, 20 or 38 more years. But no, now Jesus has healed this man and he is going to have to get a job. That's what he's going to have to do. He's going to have to go to work. He's going to have to be a productive member of society. So he goes to the Jews and he starts making friends. That's what he does. He starts making some new friends because the community that he was a part of before Well, they're not going to want to have anything to do with him because he's no longer one of them. He's going to have to make some new friends. He's going to have to become a part of a different community. And in this case, he decided to join with the Jews who were against Jesus instead of joining with the Jews who were for Jesus. That's what he decided. Instead of becoming a disciple and a follower of Jesus, of becoming a member of the church, of becoming a member of the community of people who believe that Jesus was the Messiah and then build a new life with them, instead of that, he goes to the Jews who are against Jesus and he says, that's the man, that's the one, as if that's the criminal, go get him, I am your friend, I'm on your side, I understand, I can't believe that he healed me too, that was so wrong, so go get him, you know, and I'm joining in with you, and I will be the witness, I will be the witness at his trial, and say, yes, he is the man who healed me, how dare he, he has committed a crime of healing me on the Sabbath day, Maybe if he waited until tomorrow, I wouldn't feel this way. But because he healed me on the Sabbath day, I am a witness at this trial to say that he is evil and we should throw rocks at him until he is dead. That is the attitude that is expressed by what this man does. Now, fortunately for Jesus, he's the only witness and they need two or more witnesses in order to obtain a conviction. So it doesn't go there. But Jesus will use 
this confrontation as an opportunity to express some very important truths to the people publicly. And that is what this healing is really about. It is about conveying the truth of God so that other people may know who he is, believe what he has to say, and believe in him as a person. And so from this verse forward, we don't have much of a conversation with regards to what happened with the man who was healed. Because now Jesus takes the opportunity to speak to the people about very important truths. They are now listening to him. He now has their attention because of what he did. And now that he has their attention, he is going to speak to them and tell them about who he is and about the reality of what he has come to accomplish. And that they may have a witness who will testify against him. But it turns out that he has four witnesses who will testify on his behalf. And I will explain this in the following programs. Thank you for listening. This is the 19th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I addressed John chapter 5, verses 6 through 15, with regards to the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda. In this program, I spent a lot of time talking about what the man did after he was healed by Jesus, what his response was, what his response revealed about himself as a person, and some of the things that we could learn from his decisions. In addition to that, I explained the discussion that he had with the Jews with regards to violating the Sabbath law, and I explained some additional details with regards to how the people observed the Sabbath law at that time. In the next program, I'm going to move forward and explain what Jesus had to say after this miracle, which to me shows why he performed the miracle, so that he would have the opportunity to express these other things. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you, man.